So I got like halfway through rewriting the USS Indianapolis speech, but making it about denim. And it was just like offensive and not funny. If you know, like, oh, all these yarns went into the water. <laughs> None of them came out the same. <laughs> it's like, I just can't do this. <laughs> they all shrank 5% in the tepid water. Uh, they're carrying the secret denim, the Hiroshima denim. <laughs> I was going to ask for samples, but I feel like we got them. Yeah, yeah, you, you got them. Uh, I'm going to keep wearing this like throughout the the podcast or or maybe like when we break for the halfway point, I'll take off the jacket and I'll put like a bandana on my head. You have the hat, the jacket, and the shirt. Is the watch accurate or is the watch just... The watch is just my watch. All right, cool. I've got the beer. You got got the Gansett. Yeah, the uh, appropriate, you know, 70s era uh, Gansett. Eric found this for me actually when we went out and did that photo shoot. Uh, in Montauk a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all, but I have like deck shoes, but uh, I'm not wearing those. So for the people at home who cannot see David, David is dressed as Clint, head to toe, with the beer. Got it's a full pull, regalia on. It's a pull top. It's not just like he, it's not just like a regular can mm-hmm. of Narragansett. He's got a full... This thing, what does that make it pre-1978, 79, 80? Probably. I, no, no basis for that year. I just, I don't know, but yeah, I, I, I keep the can around. I usually have like flowers in it, <laughs> like one or two, <laughs> uh-huh. but then it started to rust, but yeah, love jaws. I, 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 in case you could see, like whenever they do a screening of it, uh, anywhere I dress up like this and, uh, it's, it's very fun and people usually buy me beer. Uh, wow. but yeah, excited to talk about it today. Because, you know, I, I've seen the movie maybe, what, like 12, 15 times? And to the point where, you know, I, I devoted a, a good chunk of my time to make, uh, remake the hat. And then got to know a lot of, like, people that are even more, like, strangely fanatical about Jaws than I am. That, like, I am a, a mere, in, like, I don't know, casual enthusiast compared to some of the people that that hat project introduced me to. Are there like weekly watchers out there? Daily. There's the Daily Jaws. Oh no. Daily Jaws? What? Yeah, there's a guy that like bought four of the, the Quint caps when we first released them. No, he and, bought six of them. And, and he we was checked very specific. Yeah, he, he's a very specific uh he won very specific serial numbers. This is the guy who was the Ace Freely's bodyguard that we talked about uh, a few episodes back. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, so he was also first mate to Frank Mundus, who was the guy in, like, the, the actual person that Quint was based on. Oh. <laughs> um, and he owns, like, his, like, fish fighting chair and, like, a bunch of other Frank Mundus memorabilia. And he also was the guy that hired, uh, what's his name, uh, Nick Mara, the, like, special effects, like, uh, silicone sculpture guy to make, like, a life-size reproduction with the chair. Of Quint, which you know we made the hat for, that goes on the reproduction doll. Okay, so this guy, but he knows Frank Frank Mundus. New Frank uh, Frank Mundus is unfortunately no longer with us. The late Frank Mundus, Mm -hmm. he knew him and was and and so loved the film version of his real life 
companion boss. or colleague. This is boss. boss. Like yeah, yeah, this is his boss. first mate. This is Captain. this is his, this is his <laughs> boss Captain. though. Like this is uh, no disrespect. This is his boss. His boss and made a silicone reproduction of the film adaptation of his own boss. No, yeah, Albert. This I mean, is like if the, this is like if they made a movie about your job. And you made a sculpture of the person who played your boss in that movie. <laughs> when you say it that way, um, he's a really nice guy. I, I, I really enjoyed the interaction that I had with him. This is no disrespect intended. Yeah. But when you put it that way, yeah, it is a little bit strange because like the sculpture costs like tens of thousands of dollars. Oh my god! I mean, I, let's get this guy calling our. I mean, Google you guys are gonna <laughs> you're gonna buy the the like. Uh, I don't know uh, Adrian Grenier sculpture when they make a movie about Heddles, right? And he plays me. <laughs> that's yeah, I'll have a commission. That's as high as you're shooting as Vinny Chase. Shoot. I higher. mean, I thought about going a bit higher, but you know, you got to have some humility here. So, David, there was somebody in this movie that really reminded me of you, and it was not Quint. <laughs> it was a man at at minute thirty fifty four seconds. Is he wearing smoke? Is he wearing smoking in the, I have to ask, is he wearing a green hat? I think he yeah. And he's got long hair and he's smoking and he throws the dynamite and he seems like surprised <laughs> yes. by the dynamite. I have this same note, Albert. I have this exact <laughs> yeah, same yeah. note. He's wearing a navy blue M eighty five and a green yeah, bucket yeah. hat. It could have been made by Orso, but it's definitely not because it's nineteen seventy five. Uh, yes, I have this exact same note. It like throws the cherry bomb into the yeah. into the bay. Wow. Yeah, that's the, that's the real David in the, in the movie. I guess that, might, that's who I need to dress up as, actually, because like <laughs> the side characters in this are incredible. My note specifically is the dude tossing dynamite into the water came to fucking play and also looks like David. Y'all know me, know how I learn a living. But also, we've got Albert and Reed. Welcome to Heddle's Blowout. If you haven't picked up on it yet, this is a very special Jaws episode of Blowout. We got another batch of Quint Caps coming through the shop, which legally there is no relation between us doing this episode and those caps coming in, so don't, uh, don't get any ideas, Universal Studios. But it's almost July 4th, and so we thought we'd have a look back on this summer classic. And uh, I obviously love this movie. I, as I said, I've seen it maybe 15 times and have written at length about it and made an homage hat to it and then remade that homage hat to it again. And I'm dressed up like the character right now, even though it is very, very uncomfortably hot. But uh, what are y'all's experiences with the movie? Like, what, what the first time you saw it, uh, impressions, uh, any. Anything that sticks out to when someone says Jaws, what do you think of? I I think I have I had I didn't watch this movie the, for the first time until maybe college, um, and I think when I saw it, I kind of had that problem of somebody you know when somebody hasn't seen Star Wars and then they kind of become resistant to it and then they see it you know and they're old like you know so much about it but you don't know it actually so that was kind of I mean I I enjoy it this is my second time seeing Jaws enjoy fully enjoyed it um but kind of it's so it's so um 
it's so uh, ubiquitous the references and 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 the music and everything in our in our culture that you feel like you've seen it even if you haven't. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like the Fleetwood Mac rumors of movies. Like people will be like, I've never listened to a Fleetwood Mac album end to end. It's like, no, you have. I promise you. You just don't know it. You've heard every song thirty thousand times. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Have you ever been to a grocery store? Yeah, like a Target, <laughs> anything. It's got speakers in the ceiling. You've heard you've heard the song. Um Yeah, mine's probably the Hooper picture where he's wearing the bucket hat. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it like I've probably seen it somewhere between five and ten times. I have no idea. You're like a quarter of the way to my Independence Day count, David. Um mm. for whatever it's worth. I'm dressed like Captain Stephen Hiller right now, uh full flight suit. For those at home, I can see that I'm not. Um, but yeah, no, I love Jaws is great. I used to think I used to think mostly about the animatronic shark. Now I think probably more about the clothes because mm-hmm. I'm weird like that, and also just the wild politics that are on display in Jaws. Like I, I think I consider those politics pretty frequently now, just because they seem sort of prescient. But yeah, those are the, those are incredibly the things I think prescient. Of. Like if the, if Jaws had come out like this year, people would have been like, "Oh, this is way too hamfisted about COVID." Like they'd be, they'd be like, "This is a COVID movie." Like this is absolutely a COVID movie. We had contagion already. Why'd you do this? But yeah, it, it, it's one that, as you said, Albert, it's sort of like is is way bigger of a movie than it is. And mm, like when you yeah. first watch it, did you get it, or were you like, "Oh, it was this." It's like sort of like when you rewatch Star Wars, the the first one for the first time now. And by first one, I mean A New Hope, not Phantom Menace, yeah, obviously. Of that uh, it looks, it can be a little bit underwhelming based on everything that like was built up around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that as as the person I am today, I can appreciate it for its scope, and um, like you know, that it's not like a sweeping action adventure in the way that some other you know spielberg movies are but and it i just i was just seeing how every shot there's almost no easy shot in the movie everything is complicated everything has got a zillion extras in the background and i've a i was once a background artist i was i've been an extra (laughs) twice and extras are the worst people ever so you know they're running around the background causing trouble it's like very complicated and i know that it was a whole mess to make so uh, I can appreciate it for what it is now. I think maybe when I first saw it, I was a little underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very well-made movie, even though, uh, as we'll get into here, like Steven Spielberg like had a nervous breakdown from the difficulties of, of making this movie when he was 27. But before we get into that, you know, art cannot be appreciated without its appropriate cultural context in which it was created. So uh, just going to invite us to go back in the Wayback Machine to June 20th, 1975, 46 years ago when Jaws was released. Take us there. Gerald Ford was in the White House. Pope St. Paul IV was in the Vatican, which, you know, you don't hear about him a lot. You know, I guess in the the scope of our lives, you hear about John Paul and uh, Benedictine. And I'm not going to keep going there because I don't remember. Um, but top of the music charts was Love Will Keep Us Together by The Captain and Tennille. Y'all know that song? Mm-hmm. And uh, followed by When Will I Be Loved by Linda Ronstadt and Wildfire by Michael Murray, which I didn't mm. know that last one. The 
uh, top book was A Month of Sundays by John Updike, and the movie was The Apple Dumpling Gang. That was the most viewed movie up until uh, Jaws came out, because Jaws uh, crashed all the records as soon as it was released. The Apple Dumpling Gang? Yeah. The Apple Dumpling Gang was the the top movie of 1975 before Jaws came along and bit it in half. Uh, Other things that happened on this day, the Friday, June 20th, was former California Governor Ronald Reagan filed papers with the Federal Election Commission declaring his intent to run for President of the United States in a challenge against incumbent Gerald Ford for the Republican Party nomination. He would lose to Ford uh, for the nomination, but would win in uh, 1980, and we, we all know how that went. The beginning of the end. Yeah, you know, talking about Star Wars and the Death Star there, but uh, also very related, uh, on June 20th, underwater photographs purporting to be of the Loch Ness Monster were taken by an automatic high-speed camera triggered by a sonar. Some of the photos, the, the result of a project by Robert H. Rines, Charles Wyckoff, and the Academy of Applied Science. And the existence of the photos would be announced later in the year, and the journal Nature would purchase and publish the photos in December. So not the only underwater monster that was uh, making its film debut on June 20th. But, uh, also at this time, we have Jaws. It opened on 409 screens and would go on to become the highest-grossing movie of all time, only to be beaten by Star Wars a couple years later in 1977. And uh, the book, as you know, is based on the book The Deep by Peter Benchley, who later devoted his life to shark conservation because he had an intense amount of guilt because, like, everyone was afraid of sharks, and uh, a lot more sharks died after this movie was released. And the number of shark sightings apparently tripled for the summer of 1975 compared to like every other summer that was on record. Director Steven Spielberg, as we talked about, was just 27 years old during the production and making the movie nearly drove him to a nervous breakdown because apparently the the mechanical shark didn't work. They suffered massive delays like the cast, like uh, Robert Shaw, who plays Quint and Richard Drivas, who played Hooper, like... uh, Robert Shaw apparently was just like really, really, really mean to Richard Dreyfus because like he thought it would be like part of his character and he also just thought it was funny. And Robert Shaw was also apparently kind of mean to Steven Spielberg as Robert Shaw, like he wanted to retire, but he had like, uh, he had other bills that he had to pay at that point. So he took Jaws and was just like, I guess I have to do this work and like sort of begrudged being there. So it turns out a classic Nick Cage is actually a classic Robert Shaw. Apparently, you know, he died pretty shortly after this. It was just a few years later, and he wasn't all that old. He was like in his early fifties when this movie was shot. Um, but Steven badly. Spielberg, like, he had uh, what he described as PTSD after the movie. That, and he used to like go out to the uh, the boat, the orca, like uh, that they used for the the set. Uh, and they would uh, he would go out there for a couple of years after the movie and just. They have a quote here from an Entertainment Weekly interview that I used to come out for a couple of years after I made the movie to get over my PTSD, Spielberg recalled. I would work through my own trauma because it was traumatic, and I would just sit in the boat alone for hours just working through it, and I would shake. My hands would shake. But uh, we got a great movie out of it, so... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, thanks for dealing with that, Stephen. I mean, it was all worth it. It was the first blockbuster. It, it changed this. It changed everything. Yeah, you know? and you know, it didn't slow him down too much. 
and it uh, knocked the Dumpling Gang off the top of the list for 1975, yeah. which would have been just a real bummer for that year in its entirety. You know, that very the hubris of the Apple Dumpling Gang thinking that it could maintain the top spot. Blowout. Can we can we kind of dig in, or you want to just do a full overview before we kind of? Do the nuts and bolts. Oh, let, let's dig in. Let's let's dig yeah. in. Is, yeah, open you're in the the small New England town of Amity Island, uh, with a couple of drunken teens going skinny dipping, which like they don't really look like teens. They seem like maybe people just have different faces like forty five fifty years ago, but they they looked like older than all of us are. Those are those are old for teens, but I will say, I feel like the energy that I want to channel for this post COVID summer is like the reckless abandon of uh, a horny, not teen at the start of a horror movie that's about to get murdered. Just like they're living their best life. They're, they have not a care in the world. That's what I'm looking for. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear that too. It's just like seeing all the people is like the camera, like tracks. They're just like, Oh, they just keep going. (laughs) And yeah, they're all dressed like, you know, these like preppy young, like white kids drinking beer, like sitting around a bonfire, playing guitar, uh, running off to go skinny dipping. Uh, Because as we know, Amity Island, Amity means friendship. Mm -hmm. But uh, it also means getting eaten by a shark, which happens to the young woman who goes, uh, uh, goes off skinny dipping. The guy like passes out on the shore. And she ends up getting dragged around like into a buoy and uh, the her disappearance alerts police chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider, who wants to uh, who goes and like after looking up and down the beach and interviewing the guy, uh, they find her hand like just sticking out of the out of the sand, getting eaten by like a bunch of little hermit crabs. Um, So Roy Scheider, like. He is an outsider in there. Like we learned that he has just moved in from New York City, has only been there for like six months. And it is a like tiny, sleepy, like uh summer town that uh like the one of the, the scenes that I remember most fondly is when like he's about to type up like the shark attack and his secretary comes in and goes like, You gotta do something about all these nine year olds from the karate school that are karate chopping people's fences. We keep getting calls about this. I appreciate that Roy Scheider's character came from New York, considering he came off playing like a New York cop in a whole bunch of different movies. He's in French Connection, Seven Ups right before this. It's like, I feel like that's probably who people recognized him as was like this like hard boiled New York detective. Mm -hmm. Great casting. And I think the first good, the first fit that I clocked in the movie was the guy who reported the the one who passes out on the beach, the one who reports uh, whose whose uh, prospective uh, mate is uh, eaten. Uh, he had like a you know like a blue Oxford, some like nice khakis, and I think I spied a date just on the wrist. I wasn't. I think they were. I think that's what it was. Uh, didn't he have like a like an LLB and like fisherman sweater like tied around his waist too? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. They make a big deal about like, oh, are you an Islander? Uh, big like nativist sentiment there on Amity Island. Even though Amity means friendship, it only goes so far. He comes mm-hmm. from Greenwich, right? 
he's got like the, that's where he says he's from is Connecticut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I respect that one. They just they just pull it out. He's like, No, I'm not from the island, I'm from Greenwich. Oh. <laughs> uh like after the, the shark attack like gets known, like uh Brody, he wants to shut down the beaches. Uh, and he like runs to the hardware store to like buy wood and like uh, paint to make signs because I guess that's that's what you did back then. And uh, as soon as he like the word gets out because uh, the town's oily mayor, uh, Mayor Vaughn, who I I learned on this rewatching, he is also the town's real estate agent. That like mm. early on you see like Vaughn Realty like on one of the uh, storefronts and that's what's on his like Cadillac that pulls up to tell uh, Brody to like open up the beaches because you know they uh, they need to rake in those sweet summer tourist dollars as it's a it's a summer town it's a beach town if they close down the beaches uh, no money comes in sound familiar a little bit I have some more thoughts on the mayor's uh, sartorial choices but I'll save those for later. Okay, he's, he's, he's got those uh, that anchor, anchor blazer. We see it early. It's not the only problem. <laughs> <laughs> problem? There, there's. We'll save it for later. Okay, but uh, so like the mayor like basically strong arms Brody into keeping the beaches open, and uh, by saying like, oh no, she probably just got drunk and got run over by a fishing boat. Happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the, the shark attacks again, killing the young Kittner boy and the town is in pandemonium at this point. Cause like everyone thinks that their businesses are going to go belly up. And, uh, the mother of the dead boy puts up a bounty of $3,000 for the shark at a town meeting and everyone's like freaking out about it. And then we meet Sam Quint, who is the local shark hunting sea captain who scoffs at the three grand and says he'll only do it for 10,000. Um, I feel Which, like it. I feel like it said a lot about the town that there's like a local shark guy. Mm-hmm. It's like I, they're like they're like now nah, like let's call let's call the shark guy. Like he'll, I feel he'll like be I'm really meeting. missing that in my community. You guys need a shark guy in Denver. Uh, maybe like uh-huh. a mountain lion guy or a like uh, a bear guy. In Utah, mm-hmm. I remember at some point there was like no, there was like no land based harpooning. That was a law. Like you weren't allowed to use a harpoon gun from land. So at like some point, into people water. Were, some point, people were trying it in a body of water that presumably didn't have a ton of fish. Yeah. <laughs> you go fishing in the Salt Lake. There's nothing really in there. There's like brine shrimp. Uh, a lot of brine shrimp. A lot of brine shrimp. Antelope Island has a has a lot of biodiversity for folks into that. There's elk, I think. It's in the mm. middle of the Great Salt Lake. Oh, okay. So I don't know the, why. Is there an elk guy? There's, there's the, the, the Quint equivalent? I assume there's like, yes, probably someone that deals with like, I guess there might be like an elk dude out in like Lehigh or Tooele, like one of the towns like that kind of borders the the Great Salt Lake. Yeah, maybe. No, there's oh. no way there's a Quint equivalent for elk. That's like, that seems specific. Like that's like, it's like one of those towns where you're just like... It's like we have a shark problem, and it's like everyone's like, "Yes, call specific person now." Mm-hmm. Call Shark Man, and yeah, let's talk about that guy who who has that crazy shark story. He's got that crazy shark monologue he likes to tell. Mm-hmm. He just <laughs> likes to sit in the this. back of meetings, <laughs> and like he's been sharpening his fingernails for <laughs> like every time we see him. Been showing he up, at, pre- 
monthly community meetings for three years waiting for this moment. Yeah. Right, because presumably there have there there haven't been any shark attacks. So Quint has largely been un- unnecessary in the town. Um, so now's his time to shine. It's like the family and national treasure who's known for finding treasure, but have not found any treasure or made any progress <laughs> in 200 years. Uh, speaking of background characters, that that scene is like probably my favorite background character in the whole movie is the guy that like has the dog and walks out with Quint. After oh, yeah. he leaves, there's just like, he just like walks down the corridor and there's this other guy that like looks like an 80 year old Charlie Brown. That has like this sad little dog that just like follows him out. I want to know his story. Was he not affiliated with Quint? Well, we never see him again, but just like he leaves and like Quint follows after, or uh, he follows after Quint, just like he's, you know, Quint's buddy or something. Is there an extended Jaws universe? It seems like there's <laughs> the passion to handle it. It's here. Like I would, I would absolutely watch a standalone show of just that guy. Has anyone made a silicone mold of that guy? <laughs> uh, it's too bad. I had to give up my like half head silicone mold of Quint's head that I got from the guy when I made the doll hat. Uh, uh, it's in you Portugal it right back? now. I, yeah, I, I'm going to. I'm apparently going to get it when this next uh, shipment of hats comes in. Okay. He's holding it. He's holding it like hostage for the hat. But I would love to have it here. No, I sent it to like the fact Knickerbocker's factory in Portugal. So they could make one to fit it for this guy because he's making another life-size Robert Shaw Quint doll. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> Excuse the, the fandom. It runs deep. deep. It runs deep. <laughs> I uh, don't one to rock, one like... to stock. Like, why do you need two? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else wants one. Well, you already made two. I mean, uh. It was one of like the the better but like more strange experiences of my life because this guy he's, he's super amazing. His name Mick, Nick Mara. He like uh, has done uh, doxed him. Just put him on blast. What? Put him on Front Street he right just now. We went this, this entire time without without talking about this dude. <laughs> We're talking to mention his name. <laughs> oh no, he's he's like a he is a, a well known figure. This is the artist. Nick, mm-hmm. that okay. like he uh, was a special effects artist that he like worked on Reign of Fire, I think, and he like did the crocodile in Lake Placid. That was all him. And mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned Lake Placid in a recent news new release. <laughs> that's like that's what I end up doing. I think I talked about Anaconda, and then just Lake Placid yeah. is one of the craziest movies you'll ever see. Like it is truly insane. At one point, a, an alligator takes out a helicopter. It's a crocodile. This crocodile takes yeah. takes out a helicopter. Mm-hmm. A, a, a sea like a sea bound creature takes down a helicopter. Well, it's a prehistoric crocodile, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Which are notoriously tough against helicopters. Yes, that is true. But uh, yeah, so like this guy Nick, he made two of them. He made two of the like Quint dolls. Like when I first met him in 2017, I think it was, and like he was in Tarzana. And like I had, I wanted to go see the, the, the doll that he made the sculpture and he invited me over and he was like, okay, to get the full effect, like I'd never met him before in person. He was like, what you need to do is like, you don't want to see it like until the light is right on it. And it's in my garage. So like, you need to like have your back to the garage. I'm going to open the garage door. You walk backwards into my garage. I'm going to shut the garage door. 
and then you turn around and then you can see the sculpture. And it's like, okay. I'm I've done a lot of silly things before that seem like very irresponsible but like good on their face and like I was game for it and it was it was very very neat and I did get the effect it was like he was sitting right there but uh besides the point so uh the townspeople don't take Quint up on his offer <laughs> I'm just processing a silicone statue reveal in a dark garage of a stranger <laughs> I, I have a picture just, of it just the cynic in me makes me feel like he has designs on 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 these on these uh, molds of his boss. He's just a normal guy that makes life size human replicas out of silicone. <laughs> They're extremely that's like just, like down to the every single hair that's placed into the the silicone and the scalp. It's totally normal. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this podcast is not long enough for the number of questions I have, but I'm presuming Albert has at the moment. I feel like I can't go all the way in on this guy now that we know his name. <laughs> well, he's the artist. He's done a lot of cool things. He did like a. But he was uh, also the first mate, correct? And we were talking about this is the same person. No, no the 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 first mate was a different guy that commissioned Nick uh, in order to make the sculpture. Okay, but Nick also oh. made like. Nick also made a second sculpture that he kept for himself. Once you have the mold. Okay. Yeah, once you have the mold and once you put the hair in already. Got it. I think the former first mate probably has had sex with his silicone doll, but I don't think that the artist has. I think Nick Mara is a, a, a total professional and has not had sex with the silicone dolls. Um, I will respectfully disagree with you there, Albert, because I know this person. And I the don't second think would part or the hair. first? <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither. We live in a fast-paced world. Sometimes, you just need to slow down and stop. Heddles Plus, the new membership program of exclusive content, giveaways, discounts, and a community chat forum. Try a month free with the code EXTRABLOWOUT. So... <laughs> Quint asks for $10,000, and the townspeople don't take uh, him up on their offer, but a bunch of other people from out of town do, including uh, Hooper, who was a young hotshot marine biologist played by Richard Dreyfuss, who was sent from the uh, Oceanographic Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the... (laughs) Some of the local fishermen think that uh, they can catch the killer shark, including one that apparently looks a lot like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like bring in a shark that uh, they string up, which is like one of my other favorite scenes. Just the set decoration is because the shark is like full of arrows. If you like pause <laughs> and look at it, it's got like six arrows sticking out of its body when they hang it up. Uh. But, like, so they have this big, like, party on the dock, but Hooper is not convinced that uh, it is the shark, be comparing the bite marks from the first victim with the jaws on the shark that they catch. Um, the mayor, however, just, like, wants the problem to go away and is satisfied and just, like, opens up the beaches. Um, Do we have an ID on Cooper's denim jacket? Because he's definitely wearing Lees as his jeans. He's definitely wearing Lees as the jeans. You can see the, the arcuate on the back. 
I, I think yeah. it's just a, sam- a simple like uh, type three. Like it's a no pocket okay. like seventies type three. Although this is also cool. another one of my favorite background characters is in that scene, who is the the harbor master, uh, which I caught the name of it like harbor master uh, Hank Silva. He's a guy that's just like coming out of a little shack and he's like looking super, super pleased at all the people that I guess he gets to collect like dock fees from. And he's like has a captain's hat and like a pipe and he's got this like black and white checked flannel shirt. Mm, I remember him. The yeah. flannels in this movie go absolutely crazy. Like, oh yeah. yeah. We'll get to For it later. being like a movie shot in a beach town in July. Abs- there's a dude rocking a Mackinac behind Quint when we first meet him. That's it's just it is a perfect jacket. Like that thing. That thing was probably unsuccessfully re- reproduced by Filson four times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, another great background character, also wearing a flannel, is the one where they're going like, "What kind of shark is it?" And Hooper goes, "It's a tiger shark." And there's this guy that turns and goes like, "It's a what?" <laughs> and, Another one of That's my absolute great. favorite characters of just like this person should be eaten by the shark. Like let's, let's feed him to the shark. Rocking that was killer a, delivery. Rocking a hundred percent wool flannel on a dock in like mass, like on the yeah cape. with like an Elmer Fudd hat on July second. I I do I I feel like I also was c- coming to terms with the fact that all of that uh, Chief Brody's uniform was one of like the less appealing cop uniforms I've seen on film. Like, you know, we're, we're not here to valorize cops, but like, I feel like in that period in, in like the seventies and eighties, you get some really great cop uniforms. It's like, they seem more stylized and stuff, but he's just all khaki. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the best fit I've ever seen. Yeah. He's all business. They, all business. Of, they don't have a lot of money on Amity Island. They got to spend it all on uh, signs and not closing down the beaches. No, he does look like he reports to Smokey the Bear, though. Like, <laughs> color combo-wise. Yeah, park ranger energy. Big time. Not To be honest, he's not a super effective cop, like, at least until the end. Like, he's literally on the beach for most of the carnage. Like, presence. Mm-hmm. Be, like, if, like, if you want, like, a defund argument, it's like, he was there for it. It's not like you can stop <laughs> anything from happening. <laughs> and just watch with, like, a horror-stricken look on his face. And he doesn't even respond. He just gets strong-armed by local businesses. Twice. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. he keeps, like, he was like, I witnessed two of these things. And they're like, yeah, but commerce. Mm-hmm. And he says himself, there's never been a shooting or a murder ever on Amity Island. Defund. Defund the Amity PD. Yeah, he seems and, inessential. He also doesn't even go in the water. He is the, the like, uh, police chief on an island, and he is afraid <laughs> of water. Not just, I'm not trying to pile on a Brody here, but he's also wearing a sweatshirt at the beach in that first scene. It's short sleeve, but that's still a sweatshirt. Mm. I feel like that it's was a pretty excessive. great sweatshirt. It's awesome, but it's just not, I it's, love it. It's not setting appropriate. I mean, it doesn't mm. say like Diner California roll on it, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a pretty great fit. Yeah, I clocked that one too. And that's the, that's the same sweatshirt he's wearing at the end. And I, I wish that I had it like a black Raglan short sleeve sweatshirt. Mm. Perfect. He's similar to the next? Steve McQueen like Great Escape uh, sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, short sleeve sweatshirts. You just don't see them all that much these days. They're so good. I have one from New Hans that's dope. But uh, I have one banded. from Save Khaki that I, I got and I just never really wore it. Uh, oh. 
Now, well, the the mayor, I guess, satisfied with the tiger shark, even though like Hooper and uh, Brody get drunk and go cut the shark open and see that the boy is not inside it. Like they still open up the beaches on July 4th, uh, where the shark attacks a third time, killing some guy or at least, you know, biting off his leg and nearly killing Brody's own son. Uh, so they all go back to Quint, who begrudgingly sets out on his boat, the Orca, with Brody and Hooper to go kill the shark. And uh, the shark is way bigger than they ever could have imagined, you know, hence the, the iconic line, you're gonna need a bigger boat. Mm. Um, and I don't know, to, to maybe compress the end of the movie here, like, basically the, the shark like fucks up the boat, burns out the motor, they get stranded at sea. Like, Hooper goes into the water to try to inject it with poison, but the shark makes quick work of his shark cage. He has to hide in a reef while the, the shark turns to the boat, sinking it and killing and eating Quint. Um, Brody manages to shove an oxygen tank into the shark's mouth as it attempts to eat him, and he shoots the tank with Quint's rifle, causing the shark to explode in a big like cloud of pink mist. And Hooper and Brody swim back to shore uh, happily ever after. Beautiful. Until shark, like Jaws 2, but you know, we aren't going to get into that here. The dissection scene where they cut the shark open, um, all that shark juice spills onto uh, onto their jeans. And like the n- never washing part of my brain is like, oh no. Shark juice. Or maybe fades. that's how you get. Yeah, that's going to be how you get the real fades. Yeah. And also, that the I love the exposition of the shark eating a Louisiana license plate. So they can track where the that the shark is from out of town. <laughs> Just in the same way that they track like, oh, look at all these license plates from out of town of the uh, the fishermen that come to catch the shark. Mm-hmm. So spoilers ahead for three movies, Lake, Lake Placid, Anaconda, or I guess four, Deep Blue Sea, mm-hmm. and now Jaws. But what is your favorite giant water, like, Kill was it was it Lake Placid's grenade launcher? Was it Anaconda's flamethrower? I'm pretty sure it's a flamethrower in Anaconda. The uh, one where like the yeah, the the Anaconda the snake explodes from one end to the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Cube gets it. Um, and then Deep Blue Sea, you've got the harpoon into the electric fence. I mean, this is the original, but like I've got to go with Anaconda in every other like instance beyond Jaws, like. Anaconda is just incredible. It is it is by far the best like Jaws alike, including yeah, I mean, all the Jaws sequels. And John Voight playing the the uh, Robert Shaw. It's like it's the the last it's time been we a long time unplaceable since accent. I've had a woman <laughs> unplaceable accent. It's incredible. <laughs> we can go around. It takes four days. <laughs> <laughs> and you know Danny Trejo like uh, cameo in that movie too. Just shows up at the beginning yeah. for 35 seconds. Yeah. Uh, Guys, I haven't seen any of those. Oh, you I'm are in, you are in luck, Albert. Just like get yourself an anaconda. Like it, Jennifer Lopez, John Voight, Ice Cube, and Carrie Elwes. You forgot the Owen guy Wilson? from the uh, Princess Bride. Owen Wilson. I keep pitching it. To- Owen Wilson. Uh, yeah, I, I oh, yeah, Owen see. Wilson's keep, in it too. He plays a sound guy. I keep pitching it to my roommate. I'd love to. I'd love to watch Anaconda. Yeah. I did see Crawl recently, which is not quite the same, but it's got bloodthirsty, you know, animals in it. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. About alligators, though. Also, the butler from Richie Rich, if you've seen Richie Rich, is an anaconda. Uh, oh, yeah. 
He's the doctor. I haven't seen Richie Rich in forever. I just like very distinctly remember like, wow, he has his own McDonald's. That's the coolest part. Like it's that the power rankings go in descending order that the roller coaster, the kid, a pole, and then the, the basketball hoop in his room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Jaws, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, that it, it just feels like a COVID parable. Like mm-hmm. uh, looking back on it now of just like, there's a massive public health threat. We should shut down the thing that like people might, you know, get injured or killed. Uh, and like restrict people's access to it and like ah oh, no that would hurt business like i guess we better not oh, it happened again oh no it's probably something else and then like finally like once everyone's dead you do the thing you should have done in the beginning yeah he says close the beach for 24 hours and then someone yells that's three weeks to us yeah i took note of that as well of like 24 <laughs> hours is like three weeks and i was like haha try 16 months <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's super on the nose. It's it's very appropriate for the times. Mm. Yeah, just sort of like the effects of capitalism in a disaster of just like the uh, everyone's saying like the mitigating threat of just like oh, but think about how like many people will die if we don't get paid by these tourists because we don't have the money. And I'm just like, eh, I guess a fair point, but it's just a completely like inhuman way of looking at things. Um, another theme was like the, uh, just like taken by, you know, tourist towns that hate the tourists. If you've ever been in one of these, like I find them very delightful of, you know, all this talk about like, you'll never be an Islander or in the beginning of like the guy arguing with Mm -hmm. the uh, hardware store clerk of like, I can't need this by August. These ginks that are come down for the summer, they're going to be gone by August. Uh Which I had to look up the term for for of what gink means because it, it sounds sort of like a racial slur. Not good. Not good. Like it doesn't sound good, is what I'm saying. It doesn't sound what good, but it? it just means like a a foolish or obstinate person is apparently what a, ah. a gink is. Yeah, I, I lived in a tourist town in high school, Park City, Utah. And we did not like the tourists that sustained the town, um, mm. even though we absolutely needed them to have a town. Uh, we were not a fan. It came out right. I, we were there like, or I was in high school right after the Dogtown and the Z Boys documentary came out. So we had like a big like locals only, like fuck the goons thing going on. Mm. Yeah, I mean the the culture of, I mean, so I'm I'm from California and where kind of the beach towns kind of our beach towns fairly year round. And to some extent, at least. And I feel like I've been to the East Coast. I've been to kind of that area, the Amity Island area. Mm. Um, and I've been like in the, I've never been on, during the season, but just eat, the East Coast beaches are so scary to me. They're like, everything is backwards. It's, it's uh, there's no waves. I just, I, I can't, uh, I, I. Literally everything is backwards. Like your the beach yeah. is on your, uh, on the East instead of on the West. Yeah, the sun's in the wrong place. It's really alarming. Um, <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> uh, like, I went out to Montauk. I've been out there a few times, like, when I lived in New York, uh, where they shot the movie. Or not where they shot the movie. That's where, like, it was based on. That's where Frank Mundus, like, docked his boat was in, mm-hmm. in Montauk. The movie was shot in Martha's Vineyard. Um, but, yeah, spending time out there, like, it definitely is that vibe. 
of like I was there usually on the off season because it was super super cheap but still very pretty. And uh, like I remember having dinner with like the friends that I was there with once, and there was like some like drunken local that was like arguing with the like uh, waitress that he'd like known for years and years about how he wanted to change the channel from like whatever football game they had on to like the WWE SmackDown. <laughs> like, and he eventually left. He tried to talk to me. He was like, Oh, come on, stick around. Have a drink with me. And, uh, we, we left, but I regret not having a drink with that guy. He thought that it, we would be scared out by him. We had some solid townies in park city in high school. Like the, the grab a drink with me crowd. Uh, mm. And then my friends turned into them. Wow. Could have been you, Reed. Probably should have been. Still you know? could be. Could be. Why not? Take uh, it back. I, I don't think I could afford to live in that town anymore. Uh, you and me both. Uh, right, uh, any like most favorite or least favorite scenes? That body scare at night. That really, that really got me. The, under the boat. Yeah. That is that is um, that is my least favorite scene because like I always know it's coming, but I can never time it right. It's like you know when you try to uh, unwrap you know like those like Pillsbury like tube of cinnamon rolls or wow. something, and you're like having it's like a bomb that's about to go off in your hands. Like that's sort of what watching that scene is like because you know that the spooky guy is gonna come out with the like worms in his eye, uh, and Hooper's gonna drop the tooth, but like it, you can never really anticipate it as many times as you've seen the movie, and it always gets you. For one second, on that note, can we talk about how hardcore scientists are just in general? Like, Hooper just jumps into the fucking water dressed like a seal, like, waving a light around just to, you know, assuage any confusion about where he actually is mm-hmm. uh, in this kill zone. Like, I know there are professions that are more dangerous on their face, and, like, probably in reality, like, I understand that they're not even, like, military-based professions, like... I'm sure like loggers or the guys that repair the power lines on the Merritt Parkway would have something to say to me about this. But like scientists will just like go down to Antarctica for six months in the dark to study a fucking worm. Just just like to do it. And then mm-hmm. they'll be like, yeah, no, I also scuba dived at the same time underneath the ice. And you're like, yeah, no, but like, is that hard? And they're like, well, you know, if you can't find the hole in the pitch black, you die. And you're like, you have a doctorate. That's wild to me. Like the scientists are the <laughs> most hardcore people. You have a doctorate. You had to like study for this for 10 years. You risk your life and you make like $32,000. It's just like, I feel like scientists have this like reputation of being these like bookish, like just being like, it's like, oh no, they stay in a lab. It's like, I don't know, man, these people are like tracking animals, but they have to like physically stick it in like a jaguar's thigh. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you use sedatives? Absolutely not. No, I just tackle the thing and just jab it. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely what Hooper is. Even if though he is a city boy, that his hands are soft from counting money. Uh, like I did like I like the scene where they compare their scars. Like I that that's that that warmed my heart. You know, these two crusty guys getting along. I get uncomfortable when Zoom calls run over. Like these people, they're just like sitting there, just showing off, like just full guttings. Mm-hmm. Mary Ellen Moffat <laughs> broke my heart. Yeah, that's a great scene too. Like the the USS Indianapolis uh, monologue, 
very classic. He, he, uh, not worthy of being um, parodied uh, by talking about denim. But uh, yeah, it gives you some sense of of Quint's background and his hatred for sharks. But yeah, also love the scene where like they're about to they're loading up the orca and like uh, Quint offers Brody some of his own liquor that he makes himself. I was gonna say because you when people take shots in movies, there I mean it's clearly you know they they rarely act like it's any kind of a shot. And he does sip that first part and it, he acts like it's nothing at all. And I was going to say, oh, you know, this is so, and then, he, you know, he can't drink and he pours it out. Um, but yeah, I have a problem with that typically in movies, how well people can take their liquor without any, you know, reaction at all. Yeah. I don't know. It's been shown like uh, in the movie up to that point, like that Brody is a heavy drinker. And like one of the first like lines with his wife is like, do you want to get drunk and fool around? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And then he drinks like, you know, an entire bottle of wine in one glass and like keeps drinking is the only way that he can go out on the boat at night with uh, with Hooper. Well, yeah, and then he doesn't even like it. So, no, I I thought it paid off. Yeah, that was kind of being a good moment. Very much. Um, But Brody's got some great Levi's at the end there. They're Levi's. You can see the Arcuates. I'm I'm, pre- I'm pretty certain I saw the Arcuates when he's leaning over. Uh, was was there any? Was there? No, are you not sure, David? I don't know. I, like I, I couldn't make you. it out. Okay. Uh, Read any most favorite, least favorite outfits or uh, scenes. Scenes is the underwater one where I just, I mean, it inspired an entire pro scientist rant. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I like I like the vibe of the post town hall scene at Brody's home when he's got like some flannel and khakis on, got like a gray shirt, just like just lighting wise. I'm like, oh yeah, like he, I buy him wearing that at home for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like he's drinking in that scene too. Um, I think that's it. And then also the blowing up of the tank is. I, like I was surprised you said Anaconda. I feel I still feel like like the combo move of getting the tank in the mouth and then shooting it is still the most impressive, even after all these years. Yeah, and then the the mast slowly sinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the timing of that. Was really oh yeah, Jaws great. is still number one, but it's like of all the Jaws alikes, Anaconda is, is by far is the str- by far the strongest. Yeah, by far the strongest. I I just I and I I think I mentioned this before, but I think that like all the Fourth of July scenes where the beach is full of people are so impressive. Like, I feel like there are other, like the original Piranha movie, like, or any, any movie or like movies like that, those kind of horror movies that are from that period that are trying to do a kind of Jaws thing. They never have the budget to have all these people in one shots. They're trying to kind of to, to fudge it. But I thought it was just, you know, and there's like a helicopter passing and there's traffic on the, you know, there's people in the, pond and it's all often in the same shot so and there's all those coast guard guys in the boats like with their rifles pointed at all the people swimming (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i cannot imagine how what a pain it was to get all that to work yeah by far the most complicated scene in the the whole movie probably i do like the fake out scene too like right before the actual attack like when you just keep thinking shit's gonna go down Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then nothing does. And then you get to relax with him for two seconds before he witnesses yet another shark attack. 
Yeah. And earlier in that scene too, where the, the mayor, Mayor Vaughn is going around like, get in the water, get your stupid family and put them in the water. This is what we need uh-huh. right now. It's like, te- uh-huh. it was like telling uh, everyone to go to church on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> or like Trump telling people to take their masks off, like when he's in their presence. Attention blowout listeners. Stop by the Heddle shop for a wide assortment of sweaters, knits, and Teamster tees available in the newest colors and styles. Our denim tops and jeans for men's and boys are made in USA and are available in a rainbow of colors at a low Heddle's price. Visit shop.heddles.com and use the code BLOWOUT for a special listener discount. So now what we're like actually here to discuss, the costumes. So the production designer was Joe Alves, uh, and the costume designer specifically, uh, there were two of them, Louise Clark, who did the women's clothes, and Robert Ellsworth, who did the men's. And uh, Ellsworth would go on to do the the costumes in the TV show Knight Rider and the movie Sting 2, or The Sting 2, excuse me. Yo. Ah, The Sting 2. They not were like, the, can, they the were like, can one. you do what you did on Knight Rider to the sequel to The Sting? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the costumes themselves, like you know, when you first look at it, it like, uh, I, I guess someone like uh, people like us that are watching a movie like this explicitly for the costumes or can't really avoid looking at them, they sort of just fade into the background, but they tell so much about the characters, like even without being obtrusively communicative. So, like as as we mentioned, all three of the the main characters, Brody, Quentin, Hooper, are all outsiders from the community that they're trying to protect and. You know, it was like Brody is just moved in from New York. Like Quint is the, the weird guy that shows up like every few months to try to like hit people up for money to kill a shark for them. <laughs> and uh, Hooper it just came in from the Oceanographic Institute as, you know, uh, some young hotshot that is uh, a trust fund. And uh, yeah, like all the Amity people seem to dress mostly the same in like sort of bright colors and like weird like almost like 50s looking stuff like charlie brown looking like hunter outfits um and they like don't have as much of an identity at all and just sort of seem like spooked cattle um you know as they also just keep getting eaten um (laughs) but yeah like running down i guess three of the main characters like starting with hooper that you sort of know him as the like science and tech guy and like the academic and he looks more like the new England, like prep, uh, looking guy. And he has like, you know, crew neck sweatshirts, jeans, canvas deck shoes, sort of like a Kennedy type look. And, and a raggedy Kennedy. Yeah. Maybe that's just coming from like the, the glasses and like the, the watch cap and the beard. And also he just looks super young in this compared to anybody else in the movie that has more, that is not a child about to get eaten by a shark. Rocks the hell out of a hat, like both mm-hmm. the watch cap and the bucket are are just a like a one work from Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah. As you said, Albert, he's he's wearing Lees. They look like relatively like wide fit Lees. Hmm. Um. And a uh, Levi's Type Three. Yeah. So we think that's a Lee because I, I couldn't find the. I wasn't sure it was Levi's, but it looks it like be? a Levi's one to me. Okay. I don't know. Um, 
yeah that's a good fit and then like i think at various times he has like a sweater on or his sweatshirt underneath the the the, the coat yeah and he has like a uh, chambray shirt then a like sport coat and a tie when he like intrudes on dinner over at brody's house mm-hmm. uh uh strong fits from him and he's also got the wetsuit he's the only one that actually like comes prepared so I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, but I think that those Lee that's those are like those boot cut Lees. I think they're boot cut that are in so many movies. I feel like, you know, everybody has seems to from that period was wearing that model. Uh, like Lee one oh ones. Yeah, but like that kind of, that specific like Lee the I think uh, the the boot cut Lee, the one with I don't know if you know, I've seen the label before. Um, I have an old pair of them. I feel like there's in a lot of movies from the time. Um, you just see them on people a lot. I have a, a conspiracy theory about Quinn. Right. He brought the shark into town. That man towed that shark into town and was like, give me $10,000 and I'll get rid of this. Really? And then just, think he- yeah, it just got sunned by his own creation, ultimately. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. just a classic Frankenstein, Frankenstein scenario. Frankenstein's monster situation. Although Frankenstein, yeah. like, was not trying to fleece the people of the town, but... No, but, I mean, I feel like Quip probably read it and was like, yeah, he could have fleeced the, could have fleeced the town. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's my theory is that Quinn was like Quinn constantly was like, "Hey, I'll get rid of your shark problem." And people were being like, "Dude, there's never been a shark attack." And he's like, "I'll show them." <laughs> Shows back up the next time and is like, "Hey, I heard you guys have a little bit of a shark problem, huh?" Yeah, like uh, like he's uh, the shark mafia there. Poke holes in this theory. Protection. Prove I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, they hooked the they hooked the the shark up to that boat one time, and it pulled the uh, the things out. So um, yeah, I don't know if the orca is capable of of towing that shark. I'm not telling Unless you. He had a bit. What if he just <laughs> what, what if he baited it? You know, like what if he just he just pulled this thing? He had an agreement, and then that shark decided at the last minute was like, "Agreement's off, dude. I'm eating you." Or do you think that he bred this shark in captivity? Because you know, you see in his like shark hut that he's got the like uh, the teeth of dozens and dozens of sharks that he could have made a super shark yeah i, mean, I think that that it. part's unclear in the conspiracy just like as far like canonically unclear um mm-hmm. but yeah no th- by the way this is incredibly new this this theory this is springing off you saying he comes back to town every few months demanding money to kill a shark <laughs> and i was like this sounds like a classic extortion scheme man i'll have to <laughs> ask my guy who served under frank mundus to see if that was the that was the scenario <laughs> Or just like if there's any other shark guys in Denver, notorious shark capital. Yeah, it was a few things about Quint don't necessarily add up. You know, is like he was in the Navy, as we learn about, but he's wearing an Army field jacket for most of the movie. Mm. Inconsistency he's number wearing, one. He's wearing like a Navy chambray. Um, the hat is hard to place, like specifically so hard that I had to make one, but there was like one like army waxed cotton field cap that was uh, in Korea that was similar to this one uh, and the one that he wears. It, you make an interesting point about the jacket where like, is it an M65? Is that what he's wearing? Uh, or an it's M47? an oh, uh, M51. M51. Uh, I put 65 in here, but yeah, it's an M51. Um, that where that like that, 
clearly that jacket is so evocative of a certain kind of character that a costume designer wouldn't could have you know like you're right he wouldn't not have had that that jacket in his uniform uh but it's just so evocative of that kind of you know rough and tumble kind of character that maybe they just kind of fudged it yeah yeah it was either like that was like uh in talking with nick the guy that does uh that that made the big sculpture not the one that bought it Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew jo- or he he knows Joe Al was the production designer, and the guy had like no idea what he was doing necessarily. That like mm-hmm. the the deck of the the ship was just made with two by fours that he put like uh like grouting caulk in between to try to make it look right. Is like this is the part of the big thing about why reproduction is difficult. The people are on the the set on the day are just trying to do whatever they can as fast and cheap as possible to make it look right, and trying to reproduce that without having detailed notes of how they did it is nearly impossible. So yeah, maybe that is just the intention behind that of just like, Oh, like Quint, he's a ex military person. This is a military jacket. Why don't we just give it to him? And no one there like knew well enough or had read enough, like menswear internet in order to call them out and <laughs> say like, you shouldn't do that. You know, this is, this is not canonically correct for the, the, where his, uh, his character supposedly came from. And also in just my experience uh, from actually when I was an extra, like wardrobe sometimes just has a rack of stuff and they're like, this is what we brought. We're throwing it on you guys. And uh, sometimes it goes like that too, you know, they're for those, for some pieces. Yeah. They would not have had an, as encyclopedic of a knowledge or even access at that point of like, we're out of Martha's Vineyard for the summer. This is what we got. Like, yeah. Give us a deck jacket. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he just wears like that uh, chambray, which was a navy chambray. It looks like mm-hmm. the jacket and like black pants that like don't look like jeans necessarily. They're just like you know black like chinos or something, and deck shoes that apparently he's wearing Vans according to Joe Alves. Which like oh cool. Nick Mara had to go and like look that up so he could find the proper shoes to put on his doll. <laughs> Sculpture. <laughs> No, keep calling it a doll. It's doing wonders. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he's got the 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 harpoon gun. He gets eaten, and yeah, he changes outfits a little bit at the end. And like, I guess he has three outfits. He's got the first one where he's in uh, the town hall meeting where he's got a cardigan on, and he has these like cool shoes that I can't really place. They look sort of like mules almost or like chelsea boots they're like some smooth like single piece of brown leather um and then at the end he like takes off the jacket and just has his uh has the bandana on his head i'm looking at that first fit again oh yeah 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 the cardigan's great it is I like that he's that he's got a, a sweater he wears. I don't know if you mentioned that sweater when he's in his shark. Oh hat. yeah, you're right. There's a, the another outfit when they're prepping things. He's got that like great like um like salt and pepper uh chunky turtleneck. Yeah. And another the, good one for summer. And the apron. Yeah, no, right. it really it's like those like humid East Coast nights. It's what you're looking for. Um well, that probably make, that makes sense here for like uh, everyone's wearing all this like heavy wool clothing because they probably didn't shoot this movie like in July in Martha's Vineyard. 
No, they probably the, shot it in like March. But the date is like incredibly important to the entire, like the plot hinges upon the time of year. And you yeah, see that, like, like, you see full stop Pendleton, like fireside shirts on everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like in the movie, it's like the beginning of July, but in the, uh, when they shot it, it was probably much, much, much colder, which is the thing that I've always said about like, uh, on screen acting is like 90% acting like you're not cold <laughs> or you're not like, hot or like it is the right temperature. Some like, like Channing Tatum, Liam Hemsworth type got frostbite on the, on the balls filming a surfing movie or a movie where they were a surfer in like early March. <laughs> I remember that was like a big, that one, that one lit up like the, the TMZ people, us magazine before it got sold. Oh no. Yeah. And other like seventies, uh, iconic movie dog day afternoon like that was filmed in like february i think which is supposed to happen like in the middle of summer and they had to put uh ice cubes in al pacino's mouth in between takes so when he's yelling outside he didn't have like you know breath fog from condensation oh my god yeah so you're cold you're cold inside and out with the ice and oh yeah yeah that's the glamour of, of movie making that you you don't often get to see on screen you get the permits when you get the permits. All right. Uh, and finally, we got Police Chief Brody. Not who is sort of the, the common man and not nearly as eccentric as I guess. He's the least eccentric person in, in uh, this entire movie. I wonder mm. what his actual line count is. Like his screen time is is almost 100%, but like his actual line count is probably lower than Hooper's. Oh, yeah. He's a strong, silent type. Man, yeah, a lot of face the, acting. You're going to need a bigger boat. He's got the line. The line. And it hits every time. I, you know, I know it's coming and it hits. I liked his non-work fits, pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Even, even if it was inappropriate to wear that to the beach read, which you're absolutely correct. Great sweater. I even like the shorts have, like the, where he cut them off. They seem like they're regular pants he'd cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, liked his jeans, liked his, his flannel at dinner, or that scene where he's drinking, I think he's got the flannel on. Just some good stuff from him. Yeah. He's also the only character to make a uh, sartorial judgment in the entire movie of, that's some bad hat, Harry. So obviously, you know, he knows what he's talking about, which... I see what you mean. I would love to have that hat, by the way. I, I, I could use the swim cap after... Uh, a year of COVID hair growth. I think for, for costumes, movies like period, I guess not period, but movies that happen near the beach, I've found to be the like very best. I feel like they're, they're just a little more casual. So you get a sense of kind of like everyday wear for whatever the period was. I'd also, I recently saw Gidget, the, the, the like teen beach movie from the sixties, I believe mm-hmm. I think 64. And there's some great like vintage Levi's in it. Like there's a character that has like a like a white Oxford shirt, and he cuts the sleeves off to make it like a vest. Like some good shit, you know. I, I love an old beach movie. But uh, we had some other characters with iconic fits, specifically the mayor, who's like anchor, uh, not even embroidered. It's like a printed, uh, uh, like anchor jacket. That that wasn't even the worst one. Like low key, the very first thing he shows up in, or this not the the town hall suit he's got, 
on. It's like tan. Oh, with and, all the stripes? No, there's no stripes. It's tan. He's got a red tie on there that's so wide it conceivably just wraps around his waist like a cummerbund underneath his jacket is the only thing I can assume because that thing just goes on in perpetuity. Um, and then also his like 4th of July coat is in, it's awesome. TSS would 1000% make it and I would consider buying it. I kind of have something that's very similar to it already. But this man decides he's going black tie pink shirt underneath like a Kentucky Derby just devoured a hot topic. Like it is one of the most perplexing sartorial decisions I could imagine considering that top. It is. He's a disaster in like every facet. He's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And that that's what he shows up to the beach wearing, right? The pink black. Yeah, the pink black yeah. with the, the crazy stripe combo on top. Like, I understand his leadership choices were not great, but I feel like he could be condemned based on sartorial choices alone. Uh, that is Jaws. So uh, we did a working titles, or I did one uh, about six years ago that's still up. I'll have to update that with uh, new outfit grids for the three main characters, at least. But also, Jaws hats got another shipment in. You can check those out at shop.heddles.com. And you get a blowout discount by just uh, putting in the code blowout at checkout. You get 10% off. But if you become a Heddles Plus member, you get 20% off. And you also get more episodes. And you get more exclusive discounts across the web. And there are more giveaways that we're doing. So you can go uh, become a member of Heddles Plus by going to plus or heddles.plus. Just HTTP heddles.plus. Uh, and use the code extra blowout for a free first month. Uh, Legally, they are not called the Jaws hat. They're the, they're the Quint hat. They're the Quint hat. Uh, the Universal Studios. This is this is completely uh, coincidental and unintentional. But uh, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, read what's our email. Blowout at heddles dot com. And you can give us a call, leave a voicemail that we may or may not play on air at 720-675-7098. Yeah, if you or someone you know has had sex with a life-size replica of a movie <laughs> character made of silicone and you want and you feel that we have uh, underestimated you or your friend or just the whole thing or, you know, we don't want to kink shame anybody. We want you on the pod. We want to talk about it. Yeah, or even misrepresented the situation, by the way, unless mm-hmm. your, your kink is kink shaming. Um, but yeah, we would love to hear about any of your silicone stories. He's a Maybe great even. guy. He's a, I do not, uh, I do not validate this, this line of discussion, but, uh, if you're listening, like this is not coming from me. I appreciate your patron, your patronage. All right. Bye-bye everybody. <laughs>